in a series on prayer. And as much as today is a day of festivity and a day of outreach, uh, it's a Christmas festivity, uh, as I was waiting on the Lord, I said, how am I going to bridge the topic of prayer with Christmas, or do I just preach a one-off message just for today? Are you done with this series? And uh, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit brought me to Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And as I'm reading this story, it's a story about a great miracle. A man who was born crippled. He was crippled from birth. And uh, <clears throat> I felt like the Holy Spirit told me that there are two reasons why this miracle took place. The first I could see rather quickly, and the second I didn't understand. So let me start to read a bit of the text to you and take you on the same mind-bending journey that the Holy Spirit took me on before he showed me something I had never seen before. Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. If you read through the book of Acts, you will see that often at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they would get together and pray. At times the verse says, as was their custom at 3 o'clock, <clears throat> they gathered for prayer. What you will definitely notice all through the book of Acts, you wonder how this church exploded and had so many miraculous things happening, but you will see quite definitely in the background they were constantly rallying together to pray. So this chapter, right after Pentecost, right after the baptism in the Holy Spirit, People speaking in tongues and stepping into a whole new supernatural experience. One day, Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day <clears throat> to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. When I'm preaching, both on, uh, in church on a Sunday morning and in Bible school, I'll often say, look at me, look at me. How many of you have ever noticed that? This is where I get it from. Blame them. Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit 
begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I shared with you how a month or so ago the Lord told me that it was time to uh, release that evangelistic gift and that signs and wonders would start to flow through the church. And so we've been praying for the sick and praying for people in needs on the, the last few Sunday mornings and the pastors have been moving in the Holy Spirit with words of knowledge. And I want to tell you that even this week we have had several testimonies of healings and breakthroughs in people's families all because we have stepped out in faith on the Word of God. There are two reasons why this miracle took place. The first is because Peter and John were in the habit of prayer. Peter and John were in the habit of prayer. In James chapter 5, verse 13, James is actually Jesus' brother. Some would think that James was the brother of John. There was a James who was the brother of John. He was the very first disciple to be martyred for the gospel. But James, who wrote the book of James, is actually the brother of Jesus Christ. He was the apostle who headed up the church in Jerusalem. And the Bible talks clearly about the fact that when Jesus rose from the dead, he went to see the 11 apostles and he went to see James, his brother, who had turned his faith towards uh, Jesus Christ and believed in him. History tells us that the apostle James had a nickname, and his nickname was Camel Knees. And the reason why they called him Camel Knees was because his knees had swollen from the fact that he was constantly in prayer and on his knees for the church in those days. Now, whether that's historically 100% correct or not, this is what I do know. From his own writings, this man understood the power of God is released when the church of God starts to intercede and pray. And I say that because James, like all the disciples <clears throat> who made it a habit of prayer, in his book, chapter 5, he says, verse 13, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick well, and the Lord will raise him up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Then the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The first reason why this outstanding miracle took place was because John and Peter were in the habit of prayer. In fact, the church was in the habit of prayer. 
Prayer is nothing less than you constantly sending your thoughts towards your Father and knowing that He is your source, knowing that He loves you, knowing that He has your back, and confidently standing on His Word and believing in the power of Jesus' name. You see, there are times where I'll pray and I might pray for an hour or two. But there are times where I pray all day. And I'm not standing still. I'm driving my car. I'm going to work. I'm in Walmart. How many of you know that when you're in Walmart, sometimes you really got to pray? <laughs> I don't know what that means. But anyway, I thought it sounded funny. <laughs> Especially when you're in Walmart late at night. They come out of everywhere wearing some of the most outrageous outfits. But I pray all the time. I find that my thoughts are constantly in communication with my dad. I've come to trust him to such a place where I don't just pray for an hour, and I do. I thank God that with people like Pastor Jan and there's a team of folk that come here every morning, every morning, Monday to, to Saturday, 9 a.m., and on Sunday mornings, they have prayer next door. And the likes of Dan Hall, who runs Lobster Haven over here, and Jan and Paul and Beth come on Saturdays, and we got people like Kathy, a whole host of folk who come out regularly, Barbara Steiner, come out here and they pray with us an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, sometimes an hour and 45 minutes. Why? Because we understand that when an atmosphere and an attitude and a culture of prayer is established, it becomes a platform for God to do the miraculous. Amen. Listen, you cannot separate the miraculous of God from prayer. A prayer life, a life that's constantly recognizing, okay, God, I need to flip this house. How am I going to do that? God, give me some ideas. Show me what to do and what not to do, who to use and who not to use. You see, in every aspect of life, the man who consults God is a man who will be blessed and whose future stands on solid ground. And so prayer isn't just praying for an hour. I would wish that everyone would be able to come out to our early morning prayer meetings. But prayer is a lifestyle. Did you hear me? Mm. I got three. I'm going for the whole congregation. I said prayer is a lifestyle. Listen, America needs a heck of a lot of help. I don't care what side of the po political spectrum you're on. Both sides will agree that the other side needs God to touch them. Okay? And we're not going to get divided here. We're going to stay united in the fact that there is only one answer, and the answer is Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Amen. The best thing any Christian can do for their country, for the United States of America, is to get full of the Holy Ghost and live in a realm of 
uh, intercession and prayer to live a lifestyle where we're honestly in communication with God. Not, not for 10 seconds when we sit down at the table because we're about to eat. God bless the food, bless our family, in Jesus' name, amen. Dig in, everybody. No, a lifestyle of prayer. A lifestyle of thinking towards him and knowing he has your back and knowing that he listens and knowing that he cares. And that kind of purposeful intention, don't think for a minute God doesn't recognize it. The same way he recognizes when we go about our lives and we never reflect to him, never deflect to him, never inquire of him until we're in a hole, he notices that. How much more he notices it when you and I consciously build our lives on the fact that God is real and he really wants to be involved in our day-to-day -day lives. And so as we throw our thoughts towards him, we say, Dad, help me. Holy Spirit, lead me today. Give me an answer. How do I answer this person who's acting like a real twit? Well, if you've never had to pray that, then forgive me. I've had to pray it. Sometimes people in the world or just people in life can act so obnoxiously. I know that I don't want to respond in the flesh. And so I pray prayers like that. God, this guy's acting really whacked. Help me to know how to answer. You see, I, I deflect to God on everything because it's called a life of prayer. Peter and John and the early church had cultivated a life of prayer. America needs Christians who will cultivate a life of prayer. If you really study the behind-the-scenes of the book of Acts. Prior to every outbreak of the Holy Spirit and prior to every major miracle that took place, Christians somewhere were praying. This man was born crippled, and he's sitting at the gate, beautiful, and God does this incredible miracle because of a foundation of prayer. The second reason why this miracle happened is this. They knew what season it was. That's right. Peter and John knew what season it was. My title this morning is, What Season Is It? And in this time of the year, if I would ask that question, most people would answer, it's the season to be jolly. I'm about to show you something that in over 40 years of preaching and in over 40 years of being preached to, never in my entire life did I ever hear or see this point. And I believe that it's one of those hidden gems that God has. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to take you on the journey that the Holy Ghost took me on and share with you what God showed me. Are you ready for it? So the question is, what season is it? Here's this crippled man sitting at the gate beautiful. He is just outside the gate of the temple, and he's begging at gate beautiful. And so last night, as I'm studying the Word of God, the Holy Spirit says, look up the word beautiful. And I'm thinking to myself, hang on, God's calling. 
What could I tell you? I'm in demand. <laughs> Somebody's FaceTiming me. The scary thing is, I didn't recognize the face on the other side. <laughs> I think it was a wrong number. But the Holy Spirit says to me, look up the word beautiful. And I'm thinking, beautiful? I mean, come on, you got to be kidding me. Here's a really interesting thing. I didn't believe what I saw. When I turned to my Greek dictionary and looked up the word beautiful in the context of this verse, the word is horaios, horaios. And it means belonging to the right hour or season, timely, by implication, flourishing. The gate beautiful actually in the Greek, has very little to do with beauty. It has everything to do with the season and the timing. And the gate to the temple where this uh, beggar was sitting uh, is called horaios, meaning the right hour, the right season, timely. And if we were to look this up in yet another Bible concordance, helps word studies, this is what it says. It says, an hour, the time of fulfillment, properly, it is a particular hour or a season of time. A season of time. Now that might not mean anything to you just quite yet. But in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus started his ministry... Right after, he tangled with the devil, 40 days in the desert, mano a mano, face to face. He whoops the enemy, and he stands victoriously. The Bible says he comes back into Nazareth full of the Holy Ghost. He goes into the temple, the local synagogue, and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah to read. As was custom, all the young men would be given opportunity to read from the scroll. And in Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus went scrolling through the scroll, looking for a particular portion of Scripture. And he reads something that the prophet Isaiah wrote, and he reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim. A proclamation is an announcement of a new thing that's about to happen. Jesus is making a proclamation. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for those who are prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. He has called me to proclaim the year of God's favor. Wow. Jesus opened up a whole new time period in human history, and prophetically, it's called the year of God's favor. The apostle Paul understood this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 2, he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Well, what exactly does the year of God's favor look like? 
In another passage of Scripture, Isaiah is talking about the day of God's vengeance and the year of God's favor. Two very different time periods. And he's describing the year of God's favor, and this is what he says in Isaiah 35, verse 5 to 7. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy and water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And the burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs and in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. In the year of God's favor, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, and the prisoners will be set free. Jesus came to proclaim a season. Jesus came to proclaim a year of God's abundant, miraculous outpouring of his Holy Ghost. And what's ironical to me is that here's this beggar sitting outside the temple gate called beautiful. And what that word really means in the Greek is the opportune time, the appointed season, the hour that was set aside. Too often, Christians are sitting just outside the gate beautiful and they don't understand that this is the hour, this is the day, this is the year. Today is the time for the miraculous power of God and the blessings of God to be on his children. Amen. So my question to you as I draw this sermon to a conclusion because Amy's going to ask me, did you preach and keep it down to an hour? My conclusion is this. While the whole world has gone tropos with tis the season, tis the season, tis the season to be jolly, they give gifts that will last but a short time. Once a year. And most Christians don't realize we're living in a time period where God is giving gifts every day of the year. And every year in this time period, church, now is the day for miraculous interventions from the Holy Spirit. Now is the day, according to the word of God and the prophets, this is the time period where God wants every day to be Christmas morning, where he is pouring out his gifts, of not only of salvation, but of deliverance, of family breakthrough, oh yeah, of binding up the brokenhearted and setting people free who are under mental and emotional oppression. I want to tell you, don't be a beggar sitting at the gate not recognizing what season it is. As Peter and John came to the gate and they came to the crippled man, in their Greek language they understood this man is sitting outside of the gate of opportunity not really realizing that the blessing of God is now.
I want you to understand that miracles happen the moment we recognize the setting, the moment we recognize the season, and the moment we recognize the word of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation, and this is the year of God's favor. Can I get an amen? Come on, stand with me this morning. In the world, I see it on newspaper headlines, I hear it on the TV, and people say it to me all the time, COVID, this is the new norm. I want to tell you something. This new norm has come from the pit of hell, and I refuse to accept it as my norm. The Word of God tells me what season it is. And the Word of God says that the season hasn't changed. The Word of God says that today is the day of salvation. And today is still the year of God's favor. Now, church, that's what you call determination. Whoever that person is, I don't know them, but... They, they must enjoy this message so much they want to get a hold of me. But that aside, listen to me. Today is still the year of God's favor. But there's another season. And Jesus said it's called the day of God's wrath. I've been doing this a long time. I don't believe in trying to scare anybody. If I got to scare you to get saved, I got to really question whether or not you genuinely gave your life to Jesus. But the same way we're living in the year of God's favor, expect a miracle. Expect the power of God to touch you. Expect, expect, expect. Even though this man was begging, he was expecting something from Peter and John. He expected money. They gave him something better. Expect. But a day is not far away where this season is coming to an end. And I tell every man in this house, and if you see it differently, see me afterwards. I'm more than happy one-on-one -on -one, to take you through the Word. This season is coming to an end, and it's coming to an end soon. And for those who will not, put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says the next season is very short. It's called the day of God's wrath. If you've read the Gospels, when Jesus' disciples asked him, when is all this going to happen? Jesus said, if God didn't cut that time period short, nobody would survive. And hence, it's called the day of God's wrath. I thank God that those who believe in Christ will be caught up in the air, the rapture. He's not going to pour his wrath on his son's bride. We have a great future. But if you are born again, live with the expectation of God stepping into your life and doing supernatural, miraculous things. Don't expect the ordinary. 
don't believe the world when they say this is the new norm. No, I'm sticking to God's norm. And God's norm is victory and breakthrough. I'm not going to let some fallen, broken, out of their mind politician replace the word of God in my life. I live by what is written. And over me and my house, the favor of God still rules and reigns. So yeah, it might be the season of Christmas. But it's only Christmas because Jesus came to die. Do you realize his birth would mean nothing? If he never died on the cross and rose again. There was an article on the news. A home association in one of our states got very angry. Because as a Christmas decoration, someone had the audacity to put a cross in their front yard. And the home association told him, you need to take it down. He wrote back. He said, no, I'm not going to take it down. They said, well, it's got nothing to do with Christmas. You can put it up at Easter, but it's got nothing to do with Christmas. He said, I refuse to take it down. They wrote him another letter. And they said, give us a written explanation to how the cross is tied to Christmas celebration. Listen to me. The America you live in isn't the America you lived in 20 years ago. Things are changing, and they're changing fast. The spirit of this world is placing himself because he knows the time for his showdown is coming. But let me tell you what the connection is between Christmas and the cross. Without the cross... There is no baby King Jesus. He came and was born for one reason and one reason only. To die for a broken, screwed up sinner like me. To make me a son of God so I can say once I was a sinner, but today I am a son. Amen. And to everyone who opens their heart and puts their confidence in Jesus Christ. They go from having been a broken sinner to being a son and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. As we close this morning, next week I'm making a proclamation. Next week we're praying for the sick. God told me to start moving in the supernatural. We've had, I'll share some of the testimonies next week. We've had outstanding testimonies of God's healing power and breakthrough power just this week. But I want you to come expecting for next week. Don't sit outside the gate, beautiful, begging, when you're meant to walk through the gates, receiving. Amen. As we close, every eye. If you would shut your eyes, open your heart. As we close, if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, or if you did 
and you backslid or walked away, I want you to put your hand up today and say, I want Jesus in my heart. Come on. All across this auditorium. I don't care if it's your first time. Thank you. I, I thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. God bless you. So brave of you. Thank you up the back. God bless you. God love you. God love you, ma'am. God loves you. Absolutely. Don't be ashamed. This is the year of God's favor. The day of salvation. The day of rejoicing. A day of mourning's coming. But I don't plan on being here. Anyone else ready to say yes to Jesus? You must. The Word of God says to have eternal life, you must invite the Prince of Life into your heart. Everyone repeat after me. And those of you that raised your hands especially, God loves you. I'm so proud of you. I am. So proud of you. That after everything you've been through, you're willing to trust that God still loves you. Everyone repeat after me. Dear God, I believe you love me. I know you care. Jesus Christ, I am thrilled that you died for me, not just to save me, but to raise me up to where you are. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for loving me and caring about me. I accept you. I welcome you. I embrace you to the best of my ability. But this I do. Jesus, come in to my life and take control. Forgive me of all my sins. And I thank you. And I thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Dad. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, continue to move and reveal God in this house. I thank you for what's been happening. I thank you for the miracles, the healings, the deliverances, the family breakthroughs. Dad, if they were all my stories to tell, I'd, I'd be tripping over myself telling everybody. But I thank you that people have shared their stories with us. We give you the praise. We bless the food. We bless the festivities. We bless everything that's about to happen on this property. And Father, I thank you for decisions in the youth department in the next building. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Whatever you do, don't tell my daughter I went over. Hey, guys, come on. Let's rip it open and have some fun outside. Next week, come expecting for God to do miracles in your life. It's the season of his favor. God bless.